Well, good day. I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this 805 Conversation, where we talk to fascinating people you'll want to know better. If this is your first time listening, hey, thanks for coming. The 805 Conversations podcast is produced every other week, and show notes are found at 805connect.com. Hey, please subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows. Our show is sponsored by California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services. Thanks to them both for their support and encouragement. And thanks to our podcasting partner, Full String Press, for this great studio. And to Patrick, my co-host. Hey, Patrick. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm so good, I can't even explain it. Well, wow. We, we should have a whole hour just talking about that. That's called the rest of my day. <laughs> Patrick, I'd like you to meet Megan Burney. Megan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you know, we were doing, I think it was, Patrick was at TEDx. There was a lot of back and forth between the new Vic and mm-hmm. uh, the Impact Hub. And I saw Megan sitting there, and you had been on the TEDx American Riviera stage in our first show in 2010. That's correct. That's how we met, Mark. Right, back in the day. Yeah. And I said, what are you doing? And she goes, oh, I've got this new job. And I said, well, you got to get on the show. So tell us about your new job. Yeah, so uh, in August, I took over at Unite to Light. And Unite to Light's a, a nonprofit based here in Santa Barbara. And we manufacture and distribute solar lamps to developing countries. And... We did a story on that in 805 Connect about two years ago, and I was doing a newsletter before we did the podcast. And I was really taken with just the simplicity of this, but also the mission. So tell us, expand on on that a little bit more. Sure. So um, there are about 1.3 billion people in the the world without access to electricity, and and about... 1.3 1.3 billion, and there's, I think, 7.5 billion total. Um, and there's there's another 1.5 billion without access to reliable electricity. So this is where their, their electricity is going out once a day or, or maybe even huh. maybe only getting re- electricity once a week. So um, the, the organization was founded when a visiting professor from Ghana was at UCSB and talking to some of the professors from the Institute for Energy Efficiency, including John Bowers, who's our, our founder sure, and sure. current chairman. And the professor was lamenting that students were coming uh, to the university and and not really being able to read at the level they needed to. Mm. And the reason was that when it got dark, they no longer had the ability to study um, because they didn't have electricity. Um, So for for those of us in the the United States, I think this is a hard thing to fathom, but it's it's a real problem for, you know, a third of the world. Um, So... Uh, John and some of his teams, in, including the uh, engineers without borders at UCSB, set out to to make a very simple, highly durable, highly efficient, uh, rechargeable solar rechargeable lamp. Um, we we sometimes call it a, a reading lamp because that was its original intent, but people use it for, you can imagine the things they use it right. for. Turns out they didn't just do one thing with it. Yeah, no. it's, it's everything. Weird, um, weird. weird. Yeah. But that's a good way for, for us to communicate what it looks like. Because you think about a lamp, there's many things that it could look like, but it, it looks like a reading lamp. But we see, uh, you know, business people and, and midwives, they'll, it has a gooseneck, so they'll hang it around their neck so they can oh. do hands-free things. Um, sure. You know, we've we've heard it's really good for checking the latrine at night for mm, snakes smart. and um, also yeah. chasing away lions. Lions oh, don't sure. like really? lions either. Yeah. So um, these are the the stories that we get back from our from our partners and from the people that use these lights, which is just you know, like you said, just such a such a powerful thing. Tell me a, l- a little bit 
you said something quickly, Engineers Without Borders, that went by very quickly. Tell me a little bit about that. That's interesting. Sure. So Engineers Without Borders is a, is a student group at UCSB. And they were one of the original partners with the Institute for Energy Efficiency, helping us design um, and, and test this light. Uh, and actually, just uh, this year, we, we brought them back in. I've, I've got a couple students, um, undergrads, and then also a group from uh, UCSB's Photonics Society. And they're doing some tests Pho- for photonics. <laughs> Sounds like a fun group of people. Wow. You know, I, I'm what? really impressed by them. It's a society, them. though. It's <laughs> photonics and it's society. Really, it really classes up the joint. Right? Takes, I, takes them to that next, that place where you're like, they have tea at every meeting. I, and their pinkies are out. <laughs> yes. But right? in the best way. Then tell me about what's photonics. Uh, you know, I actually cannot describe photonics to you. Photonics but is the study of uh, solar energy uh, through the sciences. See? It's plausible. Th- that, that was called I don't think that's really correct. good. No. <laughs> no. Oh, woo. Going to call B on that. We'll turn to the internet. Go to the Google. And find out what. Yes. But I'm, I'm interested oh. in the, the person who's listening right now is is maybe they're a startup uh, entrepreneur, somehow involved in business, or they're just they just like listening to the people we bring on because mm-hmm. they're interesting stories. When we talk about designing things and solving problems, we've we've had lots of conversations about design thinking, problem solving, minimum viable product, all of that. Mm-hmm. What was the brief? Do you know what the brief was like for this product before it got designed? You know, I'm not 100% sure because it it was designed about seven years ago. So that was before my time. Um, But what I do know is that uh, is that they really wanted to start with a single double A rechargeable battery. The idea being this is something that can be accessed throughout the globe. Um, Some places harder than others, but most of the places in the globe, you can find a single double A rechargeable battery because when we're thinking about the longevity of these things, um, there's only a few components. There's an LED lamp, Right. Which has you know ten fifteen years if not more of of a lifetime. Is so that how long? LEDs LED- will last quite a while. Wow. Yeah. Same thing with the solar panel. It's it's going to last you a very very long time. Same thing. You know, you're, if you get a solar panel at your home, it's it's going to be warranted for twenty five years. So the the battery was actually the weak link. So they mm. wanted to start with something uh. that was replaceable. Um, you know, obviously we want to have a battery last as as long as possible. Uh, but the problem was that an LED requires or, or takes four point five volts and right. a single AA battery is, is 1.5. Uh-oh. So the, the team had to set about and create a circuit that, um, and I'm, I'm not an engineer, so I don't know everything behind it, but essentially levelized that energy output so it could power the LED. So that was really the, the key crux uh, for the product um, when it was developed. I mean, if it was easy, then everybody would have done it, but it wasn't an easy problem, right? Because you had to figure out how to, how to quadruple the energy output. That's correct. Yeah, it, it wasn't easy. And, and at the time, and I don't know if it was the first product on the, on the market, but was one of the first products on the market that, that really tried to address this issue of low-cost, high-durability, rechargeable, um, solar rechargeable uh, lamps for developing countries. Now there's a, a slew of other products out there, which is, is fantastic. We we kind of have the mindset since, uh, you know, our mission really is to help people gain access to, to light, that the, the more products out there, the better. Um, and that's actually what we're doing right now with the Institute for Energy, of, I'm sorry, with the um, Engineers Without Borders and the Photonic Society is looking at our lamp and other lamps out there to see where we're at, to see you right. know, how we're doing, how, how we're doing compared to performance. And, and photonics are? Yeah, for those members of the Photonic Society that are screaming at their iPhones right now, um, the, pho- the photonics, according to the Internet, is the branch of technology concerned with the properties and transmission of photons 
for example, in fiber optics. Oh. And the Photon Society is a very large organization of over 7,000 members. Mm. And uh, they have chapters all over the world, uh, especially uh, UCSB, where it was named the number one chapter last year. Thank you, Internet. Thank you very much for that. See, that's our crack research staff working in real time right there. I, this idea of high durability and low cost is so that you can, the low cost is so you can get a lot of them out there to the 1.3 billion that don't have electricity, right? That's, that's correct. We really want to keep the cost down. And um, we don't, uh, you know, sorry, uh, we've got different, there's different distribution models for these. And, sure. and originally we thought, because uh, one thing we're replacing is, is kerosene and also candles. Oh. So that's what oh, we're trying yeah. to replace. Oh, okay, is, got it. And, and people are paying for, for kerosene. I, I think I've heard the, the stat, and it might be a little bit old, but, you know, they're you know paying up to $2 a, a week for, for kerosene, and they're maybe making a couple hundred dollars a year. Right. So one mm-hmm. of the things, this is also an economic stimulus, uh, really, if, if we can get them to, to switch to lamps. They're using 25% of their income just to pay for the kerosene. Yeah. Huh. Uh, which, if you, if you think about it, if, uh, you know, your day had to end when it got dark... That's a that's a pretty big yeah. trade-off. Um, you know, I've also I actually heard the story last night an event we had um, somebody who had been visiting uh, a community in South Africa and um, on a safari and the safari the the man leading their safari was you know they were talking to him about his life and he he said that he had to choose between water and energy hmm. and he chose mm-hmm. energy or, I'm sorry he chose water obviously sure. over over energy um, so having to make those types of, of decisions is something that. I don't think any of us want people to do. We we should have those basic needs met. Um, so we want to keep the costs as, as low as possible so that we can get uh, these lights to as many peaceful people as possible. So what does it cost now? What is there like a retail or do you think about it as just wholesale because you give them away? So or do people buy them? So there's five questions. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we have two different distribution models. Okay. Um, here in the U.S., if Mark, if you wanted to buy one, yeah. uh, I would charge you $20 for this lamp. Okay. And, and it's a buy one, give one model, much like Tom's uh, shoes. Like Tom's. Yep, exactly. So with that light, you get one in your pocket. And one is going to go to uh, somebody in need. So we have a, essentially a, we call it the, the give bucket, right? So um, we just sent uh, 400 lights to Haiti out of that, that mm, give, right. um, those give lights. Uh, the other way we do it is um, more for service projects or mission projects. We lock, work with a lot of religious groups who are, and, and Rotary is another huge partner of ours, and, and they're doing projects across the globe in, in different communities. So they'll call us and say, hey, we've got a project in Nepal. I want to take 100 lights, and we'll just charge them $10 a light for those. Uh, so we basically charge them the, the cost of the light so that we can get those distributed um, as widely as possible. I have one of these lights in my, in my dining room. We take it camping with us constantly. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> I, I, it's really funny when somebody comes over to your house and brings you a, a gift, you know, to a dinner party or something, and then two years later you hear where that gift came from. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, yeah, I know this light very well. Oh, yeah, that's we great. Use this regularly. Yeah, and it, it, stays, it stays in the house and we, it gets a lot of use. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we definitely try to promote it as a, as a host gift because if you're thinking about bringing oh. a bottle of wine, it's about 20 bucks for a nice bottle of wine, yeah. or here's this retru- reusable lamp that um, you can take camping, Speaking bedside as a reading. recipient. It is a, a much better host gift than, than a bottle of wine, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I had one question about the actual design piece is where did the green come from? 
Because these are noticeably like an electric green. They are an electric green. I'm going to actually have to say, I'm sorry, that was before my time too. So I just started at this job right. in, in August. So we're we're still transitioning it, to it, be That to be color honest. also scares lions. That's what it was? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. going to start using that. I don't know why yes. you wouldn't. I think that's... <laughs> it's pretty bright. Any Anytime you have a question that doesn't... Oh, uh, where do we get these made? Uh, we get them made at the anti-lion factory. That's where they're made. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we um, we I, I love those kinds of answers that become institutional kind of history. It's mm-hmm. like oh, well, there was a lot of research done, and, and it as, it, as it turns <laughs> out, it's a scare lions. Uh, that's there's a TED talk there. I'm telling you, uh, we thought they were for for reading. It turns out it's anti lion. No, <laughs> I I think this the, there's something about that. You know, spooks in the night. Is, is there? Um, is the mission limited to these lights and that's, I mean, you're just going to stay in your lane there or as, as entrepreneurs are wont to do is just, okay, let's blow this thing up. You, uh, you ask a great question and, um, you know, traditionally we've, we've kind of had a small local organization that's been very focused on the lights. Um, you know, Mark, you, you know me well, and I, I do have more of that entrepreneurial yeah. mindset. And I've, I've taken that to some other nonprofits I've worked for. And um, and I'm looking at what else we can do. Uh, I, th- I think the lights are amazing. And I think we need to um, take, a, take a hard look. And that's what we're doing with UCSBs um, at, you know, the the technology and make sure we're still kind of best in class. We're providing something that needs to be provided to the world. Um, and, and that light aspect is, is huge. But um, I think there's also something more we can do. Uh, and, and I'm actually new to the kind of aid and development world. Um, I, I come from the environmental side and right. the energy side. Right. I, I was right. in renewable energy for years. So um, when I started at this job, I've been having a lot of conversations with, with people I know that are in the aid and developing world here in Santa Barbara. And uh, it just my mind is blown by the caliber right. and the right. work being done, both on the for-profit and the non-profit side. Um, really, really interesting people. And so I don't know the answer yet, but I'm starting to think about how we can actually better connect. So maybe more of that unite than the than the light part. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonprofit, for profit, academic. There's some great researchers at UCSB that are doing amazing things. Um, so I, I don't know what the future for unite to light is, but um, I'm definitely. Uh, starting to ask around and, and see what what's needed in this community because there are so many organizations trying to trying to help in the developing world a couple of things come to mind one is um, if you dive into Elon Musk you'll find out that his <laughs> mission is see you didn't know I was gonna go there no but that t-shirt <laughs> yeah there's another t-shirt. dive into, dive into Elon, Elon Musk, Musk. Yeah, you can wear that when you're rocketing up to Mars. Oh, it's, uh, it's a slogan. It's a it's a chant. It's wonderful. That's a wonderful statement, Mark. It's I'm an sorry. affirmation on the beach. Uh, the reason I say that is because when you talk to him, it's it's not about the car. Mm-hmm. It's about the battery, mm-hmm. right? It's about the power, yeah. right? And so, which is with your background in in energy efficiency. And, you know, just um, it feels like that's a passion for you that's going to guide kind of color everything you do it feels like there's probably some seminal work that can be done there especially with the relationship with the university that's going to go out to other areas where that like the the big one is cooking food 
So one is lighting the kitchen. The other one is mm-hmm. cooking the food. And you talked about kerosene. And there's a student at uh, Santa Barbara High School who's figured out a way to um, raise money to buy these fuel-efficient stoves for the tribes in Brazil. I mean, it's just this roundabout thing. I'm going to make a cookbook that will raise money that will go and buy these stoves because that will get it so that people are less sick from breathing the fumes. So I'm, i got to figure that replacing kerosene, there's probably a health byproduct from that as well. There's a huge health pro- byproduct, both from the inhalation of the fumes from burning the kerosene, um, but also, you know, some things I had, had not really thought about. Um, you know, you're in, you're in a mud hut. You don't really have a child safety lock. Uh, there's there's a lot of issues with children drinking the kerosene. Oh, jeez. Um, and and that's, huh. that's bad enough. But then if you also think about um, the, their mud huts, they also have straw roofs. You have an open flame. Uh, 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 so right. fire is a huge, huge issue. And there are, you know, millions of people every year are, are injured from flames from, from kerosene lamps. Um, in these homes, so there's there's a lot of health impacts as well that that we really want to uh, we really want to address. Yeah, I think the the challenge as an entrepreneur is you you know you get that product you, you have that initial idea you're really passionate about it. you get that out there and people start using it. That's the good news and the bad news <laughs> because now now you're starting to it's depending on how open you are to their input. We usually entrepreneurs are pretty good at that. We start hearing all these other things, and the louder you listen, the more ideas you get. But as soon as you start to poke your nose in that tent, you go, oh, or in the mud hut, as it were, oh, look at these other problems we could solve. So you, yeah, the, what do you call it, mission creep? Yeah, and and I, I don't necessarily see Unite to Light as solving those other issues, but the, the first thing that comes to my mind when you mention that student is, oh, it sounds like they've got a great connection with a community that might benefit from our lights. I should connect with that student. I'll make that happen. Thank you very much. Um, I appreciate that. But that would be the type of thing that I want to do is make those connections and see how we can help them. So, okay, we take care of cooking, we take care of lighting. Those are two basic things. And then the you know, this is where the entrepreneurial mindset starts spinning. What's next? And it's not that Unite to Light would do what's next, but maybe we, you know, talk to the community and find out what else they need. And then we come back to, you know, our friends, our partners and say, hey, we've got this community that needs X. Can anybody provide it for them? So that's where I think it's really interesting um, in terms of what we might be able to do on the on the kind of Unite side. Um, But I, I am, you know, very cognizant of Mission Creep. And I think a lot of Nonprofits um, are, and I think that's an important right. thing. Uh, but I also feel like if we connected more and, and we had a bit more of um, uh, kind of linkages among these uh, nonprofits, um, we could actually have a bigger impact. Um, is that is that something you run into with it with a trying to get through? Uh, how do you partner with another nonprofit, or how what what are the things you're running into when you? When you're seeking these these relationships with these these other nonprofits, because it's it's they're often very small shops being run by you know passionate groups of people. But you know how how has that been coordinating with them? So we we have amazing partners, and and I just can't thank them enough. Um, I think the nice thing that makes it a little bit easier for us is we're often enabling them to do their mission. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Rotary has a huge, you know, underlying uh, mission around education and environmental aspects as well. So so providing those those lights, we actually help them. You're one their tool m- in the toolbox. Exactly. Yeah. So so those types of partnerships are, are easy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually have organizations across the, the globe reach out to us and it just kind of blows me away and ask for, for help from us. So 
those those types of things are so easy. Um, you know, the next level, the um, kind of the connection and, and a little bit more of the transparency um, around what's happening is is kind of the question mark. And, and I've definitely seen a little bit of protectionism. Um, mm. There is only, oh. you know, so much funding or that's the idea that there's only so much funding. Um, Do you believe that? No. I don't. Yeah. I yeah, really don't. Right. Um, I, I, I both think that we could be more effective with the funding that's out there. Um, and also, uh, I feel like if we can, the more we can show kind of long-term impacts, I mean, I'll take our organization. We have fantastic um, results around graduation rates or pass-through rates. So in a lot of these countries, you actually have to pay for school. Right. Uh, and like we do here in grade school and uh, elementary middle school. Um, and so that's a, a hard enough toll on, on parents. But if their students aren't passing into, into the next grade, they don't often get to school, uh, get to continue going to school. And this can happen at 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 years old. Um, and, and often it's a, a big problem for, for young women uh, because mm. they have to do chores when they get home from school. Right. They have to right. fetch water. They have to gather firewood. So um, they're, they're failing out at much higher rates. Uh, and we're finding when we just give a child a light, we actually increase their graduation rates by 30 percent. What? So ha- has this been a huge um, <laughs> task for you to, to, to learn about all of the different populations that you're serving? And, and just like that, that bit of information about knowing kind of what, what that after school life is for a young woman. Um, in those countries? Yeah, it's, it's a huge learning curve for me. And, and luckily, we have amazing partners that, that go out and do this, do this for us um, and come back and talk to us. And, and like I said, every day, I'm just blown away by different people that um, come back and tell us stories. Um, but I just kind of want to finish the, the thought. And I think I got off on a tangent. But, you know, so we let this... <laughs> that, we, that, I know. Sorry. That but no, no. But I think this is an important one when it comes to partnerships because we get that girl to graduate or to pass through to another yep. grade. So, so we keep her in school longer. We increase her... Um, ability to make money. We increase you know, her education level um, and, and hopefully she ends up being healthier. Her family ends up being healthier. But we don't track it after that. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so you know, one of my thoughts is we've got all these great social impact investors here in Santa Barbara. Right. What if there was some <coughs> way, you know, we could track what happens mm-hmm. afterwards by partnering with with them. Maybe she wants to start a small a small business. Um, is there a way we can track it? And, and I feel like that's how we actually expand the, the pool of, of talent, of dollars, of um, effectiveness is by doing that, that tracking. Um, and it can go back even further. You know, there's Vitamin Angels is in town. Direct Relief International is in town. Like, what if we started even earlier than, than school age and, and actually had kind of this long uh, trajectory where we're really helping people, giving them the tools they need to, uh, to lift themselves out of poverty. Um, that, that tracking piece is so important, kind of in everything that we do. Like, it's like, don't do something unless you know exact, explicitly what action you're trying to generate from that. It, it's as simple as doing uh, an email with a call to action. What do I want to have happen? Don't, you know, it's like, what do I want to have happen? And then what people forget is go in and track that. Did, did that thing happen? Mm-hmm. Yes or no? If no, then look, my engineering is showing up. Well, but, well but no, I had 5,000 units arrive. I sent 5,000 units out. We're good, right? Like yeah. that's, we tracked, right? Yeah. We kept track. Right, exactly. And, and we had um, Candace Winkler, the head of the Scholarship Foundation of Santa Barbara, in, and they're, you know, they, they look at impact of financial planning and some monies, but more along the financial planning and education of the family. Mm-hmm. Where are they going to go? But the tracking is a huge initiative for them to say, okay, those dollars we invested in that young mind at this age, 
can we look 20 years later and find out, oh my gosh, look what happened to that person. I was talking to uh, the, the bull about what happens with those dollars. And uh, I mean, being around nonprofits in Santa Barbara, you see that. And it feels like that's a missing link, kind of universal around all of them. It's kind of hard to, other than anecdotal evidence, to say, well, what happened? Oh, well, she went on and won the Nobel Prize because she had a $10 light, right? That's what—that's the story you yeah. want, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Let's just that start happens all the time. That, that sounds good. Let's it's, just tell that. Yeah. We like that. I think yeah. that's a good one. It's another, it's another one we're going to keep. Well, how many people didn't die because of lion attacks that we <laughs> thwarted? Um, I want to, uh, a couple of, I'd like to understand, you did a stint at a company locally called Wiser Capital. Mm -hmm. And so you went in kind of, it would feel like a left turn, right? But I could see where the dots were connected for you. What did you learn there that's helping you now? Oh, so much. Um, so, so when I started Wiser at Wiser Capital, which is a, a commercial solar financing firm, mm -hmm. um, and and what that means is essentially, if you're a small business or a nonprofit, it's actually really hard to get financing for solar uh, because you don't have a FICO score like we do as individuals, and you don't have a, oh. um, a you know risk rating with S and P or Moody's. So, um, so Wiser set out to help these small businesses and, and nonprofits. Um, get access to financing. So um, that's just kind of background. So it was a startup. It is a startup. I um, I was the second employee. Uh, there are three, three managing partners. So, um, you know, as a startup, as one of the first employees, you kind of have to do a little bit of everything. Yep, yep, um, yep. And, and it was fantastic. And I, and I learned so much from that, um, from software development to, to HR. And so now that I'm, I'm, you know, running Unite to Light, those, those skills are, are, are extremely invaluable. Um, just kind of that mindset of, you know, you kind of got to figure it all out. Um, and there's, there's a lot of things that we just, we just have to have to figure out. Um, How many in your staff? One and a half. I'm the <laughs> one. <laughs> I love that one and a half. It's like 2.2 .2 kids. Yeah. Where's the 0.2? I don't, I don't know what that if is. You were, if you were here, you would know. <laughs> oh, see, there you go. And I have another, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the past because but I think that informs how you got here. Mm -hmm. So I was really interested to learn you worked at the Smithsonian Institution. I'm, I, I love history, I love the Smithsonian. I got to go there, Santa Barbara Studios back in the day, did an animation that premiered in one of the exhibits there. So we all got to go, which was fantastic. So I love that, so I want to tell me, tell me a great story about sure. Smithsonian. Um so uh, for, for any students out there, I actually uh, started as an intern through the University of California. I was at UC San Diego, and the UC system has a program called UCDC. So you can do an exchange program to DC. So I, I got in at the Smithsonian that way as an intern, and then they, they hired me on for a new, uh, a new museum called the um, American Indian Museum. Mm. And it was uh, just opening in their inaugural year and uh, it was it was a mind-blowing experience to be there and I did visitor studies so I basically got to spend my entire day talking to people about oh, how fun was museum. that yeah and and if you've never been um, the Smithsonian uh, the Native American or American Indian Museum is done a little bit differently a lot of the Smithsonian's you know like think about the mammals exhibit or the animal exhibit you walk in you see a lion it, there's a plaque that tells you about the lion where it's from what it eats um what it doesn't like exactly <laughs> yeah um uh, this the american indian museum was done a little bit differently where uh you had to spend a little bit more time and, and seek out a little bit more information and um 
it was interesting to, to be, uh, have people's reaction to that, and, and some people absolutely loved it. And, and the people that chose to, to seek out that information were, um, you know, extremely impressed because there, were, there was people, there was interpreters around, there was uh, a lot of different resources. But for somebody who was just kind of trying to get the, you know, basic experience, they had a, a bit more of a difficult time understanding what was trying to be presented. So the, uh, I was actually just back there a couple weeks ago, and it, it's interesting to see some of the, the changes they made. And I, I do believe they've still really stayed true to the mission, um, communicating in a way that, you know, maybe Native cultures are, are more um, prone to, to do, but also helping people access that information a little bit more. So um, it was it was a great, great experience. Did that color your interest in <clears throat> indigenous populations? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I definitely have a, have a soft spot. Um, I think at the time of the opening, I can't remember the exact statistic, but it was half or three quarters of the staff were in, indigenous mm. um, peoples. And, and, I, and, you know, getting to know them and they came from across the and, uh, American Indian Museum is not just the United States as Native Americans don't portion out their, you know, their native lands in the way that we draw our borders. Right. Um, right. The way we did in 1852 <coughs> yeah. right. with exactly. Britain taking exactly. over. Yeah. 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 So, um, so it was great to have people from all across the Americas that were there to help open this museum and, and really explain their, their cultures and um, their history and their present uh, both at the same time. And so I just met some of the most amazing people and, and still good, good friends with, with quite a few of them. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it, it was interesting to uh, you know meet people from from different areas uh, of the world and uh, work with them. I think that th- there's there's something <clears throat> so valuable about that interning process, but I think adding to it, not just interning at Uncle Bob's shop, but going someplace, physically changing your geography, getting into something completely different at that time of your life is so important and i would encourage our listener to either if you've not done that or if you know someone in your life who should do that to encourage them where do, where do you go like i like this idea ucdc but did you seek this out was it something you were looking for or was it a, a checklist you had to click it was something i was seeking out uh, towards the end of my school career just looking for for different things to do and um sounded sounded interesting and uh you you have to find your own internship through the program and i got extremely lucky finding this amazing woman zahava daring who i'm pretty sure still uh works at the uh smithsonian's um public policy um uh, group and and she was just great uh, both as as a, a mentor and um you know, I've t- I took a lot from that, and, and I do think it's important that students do internships, and I think it's also important as working professionals um, that we provide internships for students, and and not just provide an internship that somebody's going to make copies and, and get you coffee. That that does nothing for, right, for anyone, right, but right, actually right. have real projects. Um, I currently have five interns. Do you? <laughs> um, and 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 they don't, uh, and they're amazing. Um, all of them are. I've got a couple global studies, uh, a couple uh, engineers, and, and a young woman actually at UCLA who's an economics major. And, um, and really providing them with, you know, f- for me it's great because I can take small projects that I don't have time to do and really need to get done for this organization and, and give them something that's that's tangible that they can do in a, in a t- you know, it's UC system, so 10-week period, um, and also put it on their resume but also mm-hmm. that something is something for our organization to take away from. Um, and, I, and I really feel strongly about providing internships and, um, 
I, I did that when I was at Community Environmental Council and, um, and also at, at Wiser. That's something I, I just feel so strongly about because I was shaped, um, shaped by my internships as I was, <clears throat> excuse me, as I was in uh, college. It, it's interesting how those, we take those experiences and we go, God, that was really good. I want to offer that out, which is why I bring that up. I, I had an intern at Wayfront. <laughs> this, this, uh, we had a feeder school uh, up in, um, in Washington State, WSU. And the architecture teacher would call and say, here, I've got, you know, I get kind of got the pick of the litter, right? Here are the top, top students. And this one kept calling me, calling me, calling me. It's just like, I'm, I'm, we're busy and it just, it wasn't working. But I appreciated his persistence so much, right? He's like, I really want to be there. And he showed up and I said, you're not going to be making copies and emptying the trash. That, that's worthless. Mm -hmm. Instead, if you don't mind, you're going to, I want you in, just be my shadow. You go park over there in the office, inside of, in my office, and I want you in every meeting. Unless it's like super confidential, but pretty much I want you in literally in every meeting. He's now like a senior producer at DreamWorks. Um, has I'm so proud of what he's done, but he's worked. But it's like, I want you to see every tiny bit of it mm -hmm. and offering that. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you're, you do that and continue to do that. Um, how do you, when you're working with interns, I'm back to interns because I think we've got a, uh, that, that's a great way to bulk up the workforce. If there's a business leader out there right now who doesn't run an intern program at their company, they are they they need to find find a way to install one. How do you how do you set how do you start that for the again to this point of the yeah. person is like going okay Patrick I'm going to do that yeah. Yeah. like what do you do first? So um, I, I'm a to do list person. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and basically, I, I start it with a project. I, I look at my to do list and and what are these projects again that are kind of bite-sized doable pieces, but that I just I just don't have the time to do. Mm. Um, and that I think an, an intern might, and you're gonna be surprised at the caliber of interns you get, both undergrad and graduate interns in, in Santa Barbara, and I'm sure anywhere that's got access to a university, they're just, they're gonna have skills you didn't even know <laughs> um, you needed. So I start with a, a project. And then I try to write a description around the internship about what is exactly expected of them, how many hours, um, it was great when I was at Wiser because we actually could pay interns, but um, sometimes you can't, especially at nonprofits. Um, sure. But just being upfront about that, and then how many hours you speak, expect them to, to work, what the product, uh, you know, deliverable is, um, and then and then sharing it with the the career um, counselors at, at the schools. Every department's going to have a career oh, counselor, mm -hmm. um, so. So tailoring it. So when I was at, you know, Community Environmental Council and Wiser Capital, it was to environmental studies and to the Bren School, which is a, a right. master's program um, now. Uh, engineering, global studies, also environmental studies, but um, looking at it as a, a little bit of a different way, um, but figuring out what you need and then going to those departments. They want to place their students right. equally as well. And again, they want their students to have real life skills because that helps them when the students leave school. So they'll they'll help you with this. It's it's not a hard thing. A good a good project, a, a good intern's project on your resume. It may be the biggest component of your resume when you're 22 mm. and leaving. Uh, yeah. You know, major UC. We always we always structure our interns to, to function as if as if that internship were another class in their class load. We never try to tax mm. them more than that. And also, there are very, some very specific state and local uh, regulations on on how you can utilize your intern. Uh, and some specific rules that you should look up and you should know about them are that you can't have your intern doing something uh, that 
supplement or, yeah, t- takes takes the job of a, of a of somebody else, which is to say, you can't you can't have them just doing all of the grunt work that that would be done by a paid employee. You have to it has to be meaningful to them, and they have to get more out of it than you get out of their labor. Mm-hmm. So they have to receive oh. they have to receive a bigger a bigger lion's share. Of the uh, of the experience, <laughs> which is you. to say, they lovely <laughs> callback. <laughs> Thank you. You're very nice. Uh, they have to have some kind of experience that 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 goes beyond what you got out of the situation. Which is to say, like like when it comes to day labor, you can't just use them as day labor. They have to they have to benefit from this as if it were a class. Right, and and I think that's a, a huge point and and something that um, as a employer, you know, if we look, move away from the intern thing and move into an employer thing, when I'm yeah. looking to hire some somebody, what are some skills that I would like them to have? Those are things I try to give to my interns so that when they leave, uh, you know, maybe I I can Mm -hmm. hire them, maybe I can't. Mm -hmm. But now they at least have a handful of skills that they can put on their resume. Um, You know, obviously, you know, serving as as, um, references for them, things like that are are huge. But bigger than you can imagine. Really? Oh, so often when I'm doing a hire, I'm bringing in. I don't I don't do a lot of hires, but but um, those those past internships, what that person, how that person speaks about that past internship is, is always monumental because it was it was the difference between when they when they they pre-professional life and post-professional you know now that they have a professional life Mm -hmm. and and i'm pretty hands-off with my interns um you know you can you can do internships any number of ways i've had them where people come into the office a couple times a week but um just given the you know how kind of you know we're doing a lot of stuff right now so you know i have a conversation with them once or twice a week or they send me a report once a week so it doesn't have to be from the employer standpoint it doesn't have to be a lot on on your side as long as you're giving them the direction that they need and you're providing the resources they need to keep moving forward on a project but i don't talk to them every day Um, i trust them again good project description good good set of deliverables i trust them to do the work um and and so far you know over the i've, I've been in, in santa barbara i think nine years and i don't think there's been a year i haven't had an intern um, <laughs> really oh yeah oh, I, really? I started right off the bat at the community environmental council That's awesome. I, uh, I love interns uh, but I, I can't think of a, a single bad experience i've had with an intern um because you you empower them to do the work that that helps them and helps your organization one of the things our listener knows I love to talk about is the dragon in the story because everything, the, the story sounds great. This is all going good. But by the way, how many uh, lights are going out a week or a month? Uh, so the last few years, we've distributed about 10,000 lights a year. So I don't know what that is exactly as it breaks down to. Um, 182 a day. No, I'm just perfect. Kidding. I'm just kidding. You are <laughs> factomatic over here today, aren't 80, you? 83% of all my answers are made up on the spot. <laughs> As they should be. That's right. Right? So they, when, we, when we look at, you know, I'm a big fan of the hero's journey and Campbell and all of that. So I'm always trying to figure out where, what's the dragon in your story? What's the, what are the dra- what's the dragon you need to slay right now? There's one right in front of you, but what? what? You know, I, I, I think the, the big question or the big thing that we are we are trying to address is is what is the role for Unite to like going forward, mm. and it and it might be that we just continue to distribute reading lamps uh, through these amazing partnerships and and there's nothing wrong with that, um, but we also need to assess if that's if that's still a, a viable um, a viable business. Uh, I mean, we're a nonprofit, so it's it's this weird nonprofit. We have a we have a product that we sell, but we're also a, a non-profit, pro- non-profit um, and that makes us unique in this in this market. A lot of people distributing 
re, uh, solar lamps have a for-profit side and then a, just a small nonprofit arm. Would it make sense for you to be a B Corp? Um, <laughs> Let's restructure her company right now. Let's well, I don't know. I, we've done this before. You know, you know. It, it might, but I don't know if there's a, a need. So, again, mm, there are all these mm. other companies you might have heard of, you know, Solar AID, which is Richard Branson's company. D-Light uh, is another big one. There's there's a handful of them across the, the globe that are doing similar work. So we, we're starting to look at, you know, what are the what are the market failures of those other distribution right. networks? And right. is there a place for, for us? Um, and if so, fantastic. Let's figure out how to do that more effectively and more efficiently. Um, and if not, then and then asking those hard questions about the organization. So, um, you know, I, I really give the the board of directors a lot of a lot of credit. They they brought me in knowing I was going to ask some some tough questions, sure, um, sure. and they've been been so supportive in the in the information gathering. And again, I don't I don't have the answers yet, um, but we're, we're we're looking at that. So, um, you know, I think that's that's one big thing is is where does this organization go and where what is the need uh, and really trying to address that need still. I'm just starting to study something called category design, which is where you um, take what you do and figure out what category you're in and try to figure out if you can create a category. And then how do you design that category? It's it's brand new thinking around uh, for startups and entrepreneurs. And I have this new idea. Do I just want to be one of 75 things or can I go create a new category? And then how do I become the category king? Mm. Uh, or queen mm -hmm. in this area. You'd make uh, a great category queen. I'm not even going to go there. No, it's fine. I'm uh, just saying you would. I, I, I was thinking that, but yeah. I've just learned about that this week, and it's got so it's got me rethinking about. So this category, what would you call your category? Um, you know, I think the the biggest category is probably around uh, you know global poverty. Right. That's huh? that's kind of where we're we're really trying to uh, to help people, um, you know, and, and, you know, subsection energy. Um, yeah. But I, I think when it goes when we go back to it, we're, we're really trying to help people who, you know, are, are living in, in poverty and, and help them um, raise themselves uh, out of poverty. Um, I think that's that's kind of the big, big category I would put us in. It feels like. A couple, couple of things from a scale point of view. So there's 1.3, so your total addressable market is 1.3 billion people. And you've done 10,000 lights a year. It feels so drop in the bucket. I absolutely agree. Um, so the, the one big thing to, to think about and um, over the last, I, and I don't know what the numbers are, but um, you know, over the last, I think, five or six years, the that number that was it was like 1.5 1.6 billion now we're down to 1.2 1.3 which is you know Sizable, measurable sure um and the again that's kind of where i talk about there's all of these other huge companies that are doing this that have distributed a million lights more than more than one and a half million lights uh, so um i don't want to compete with them that's that's not what we're doing right because they're actually boots on the ground they're selling these these lights to to people in kind of this whole like exchange you know instead of kerosene they're buying the lights and that's great and they need to do that and I don't want to compete with them because we just don't have that um, capacity but there are also still market failures right so there are children there are you know clinics midwives that maybe can't afford these lights uh, there's disaster relief um, places that you know you're you're not looking for people to to pay for them and and I think that's really where where we come in 
um, is, is addressing those aspects of the market that are not being addressed by these businesses. Um, and that's where I think the value of us being a nonprofit really is, uh, because we are operating for the benefit of these, of these people. Right. Is, is there a, a, a patent license play here? There's not. Nope. They, um, the design, uh, design files are, are open. The idea. So it's an open source. Yeah. The idea being that if somebody can make this light better, more efficient for less money, then we want that to happen. Uh, again, we're, we're trying to help people. It's, it's not about unite to light, uh, making money, which again is this, this nonprofit side. So if somebody can do it better, good, good on them. We want to, we want to see that happen. Um, that's really the goal of this organization is, is helping these people who don't have access to electricity. I think that was a wrap yeah, right there. Nice that thing. was a wrap. Yeah. You just, you closed that up, put a nice little bookend on it in a bow. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, Megan, thank you. Uh, this has been a, I learned a lot about, I knew I was going to learn a lot about that. One of the things we do at the end of the show is we put a nice bow around this, but there's, you know, a hundred and something, something episodes now. Someone has come in, they've listened to this. This is great. Now they're going to go look at other titles to listen to. So one of the things we offer you is a chance to give a title to this talk. So like, what is this talk? What, what, oh, what that's would we a call good it? question. So if um, I'm looking at a long list, I'm like, what am I going to listen to next? I feel like it has to do something with lions. <laughs> <laughs> How could um, it not? <laughs> I don't know that SEO is ways to stop the lions from attacking Lion, my home. Let's lions. see. We know that that, yeah. So it's. Uh, something maybe about, uh, you know, solar solutions to uh, global. Just go back to the lions. <laughs> <laughs> Snorfest. I like it. <laughs> I know that's that's boring. Um, I, I mean, I think there could be an interesting play on words with the with the lion thing, though. What do you, unite? Unite to light is unite the name of the light. organization. Right. Yeah. Hmm. This is where we have that really uncomfortable pause, where every and our listener right now is screaming the answer, the answer at us. The, yeah, yeah. And they go, Mark, come on, they're can't you hear to, me? This is why your phone's on stun right now, because you know there's that moment of like people are texting you. Constantly. Oh, totally. I know that that's happening Titles. right now. Yeah, that's okay. That's we will figure. I I like solar solutions to global poverty okay. myself. I, mean, I just good. like the I like the big. That's a big idea. Yeah, yeah. and you know that. My TED is always showing through this. It's not very far below the surface. And I'm thinking, what's that idea worth spreading, right? Mm -hmm. What's that, what's the takeaway here that is something like, wow, you could do this. You know, someone could go, well, actually, if someone wanted to buy 10 lights and give them to the rotary mm -hmm. to give away or whatever, or just say, hey, buy these 10 and you figure out who to give them to, where do they find you? So we're, we're online, uh, unitetolight.org. Yep. Uh, pretty pretty easy. You can Google us, too. Um, yep. and, and on our website, we've got a couple different options. There's that buy one, give one option. So yep. if, if you wanted to buy one for the holidays, again, for a host president or for your nieces and nephews, for stocking stuff. Not just a or, wand, or, get a case. It's so You're going to be going to so many right. parties, and it's just oh so hard gosh. to keep track of yeah. what you've given to everybody. So just be that person who's always giving the light. Yeah, yeah. appreciate that. Um, yeah. And you can also make donations on that page. And we've got yes. some partner pages up right now, one for uh, specifically for Haiti and another one for San Barbara Middle School. There's a community center where we're raising lights for them and you can nice. donate directly to those causes or just tell us hey i want to send 10 lights uh to somebody in need and you can do all of that on our our web page well the disaster relief thing just mm -hmm. just if you did that 
Yeah. We've just yeah. focused on that in 2017. There's half a million lights, ba-boom, yeah. like that, right? I love that. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you I for also want to thank the um, California Lutheran University School of Management and Tolman and Weicker Insurance Services and our podcasting partner, Pull String Press. I just, Patrick, I just love the kind of conversations we have here. <laughs> they're just, I never know where they're going to go. They always uh, turn out amazing. I'm glad we keep you coming back. <laughs> if you're interested in partnering with us, drop us a note, partner at 805connect.com. So Patrick. Yeah. Our listener right now, mm -hmm. you've told them to read, write, and review. Yeah, what, read, write, review. What yeah. else could they do to help? Well, I, this is going to sound like it's out of left field, uh, you know, like like the Cubs winning the World Series. I but, love it. Um, uh, I'm going to have to say you should subscribe. You should subscribe to this podcast and other podcasts like it. Uh, but but get your friends to subscribe as well. That could be the best holiday gift you give them this year is uh, bringing them into the fold of these great conversations. The thing that's interesting about subscribing, because yeah. what happens with me, I'll hear about a new podcast, uh -huh. I'll go listen, yeah. but then I forget about it. Right, right. Right, but if you hit that subscribe button. It comes back and reminds you. Everybody. And you'll, you'll get a new show and you go, oh, I didn't know I would be interested in that. And I found it, oh, as it turns out, I am. But you know me, I'm interested in all of it. So uh, <laughs> I'm insatiable about that. I would love to hear from you if you've got questions or an idea for a guest for an upcoming show. Drop me a line at mark at 805connect.com. And until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for 805 Conversations.